0: All of those books are available on Amazon, as well as everywhere else books are sold. That's Travel Light, Knowing Where to Look, and Bliss More. All right, back to the show.
1: I was producing, having great, awesome success. I couldn't believe it. And then I started getting pain just all over my body. I was feeling just bad. My arms were hurting, like, then went to my legs, then... couldn't sleep and it was like weeks so like I didn't exactly know what was happening but I was just such pain I was taking a lot of pills and stuff just trying to get the pain away I went to this doctor they thought it was bursitis I went to this doctor they thought it was that so then uh, one lady I went to and she took a blood panel from me and she called me she called me and said you need to go to this place immediately I think you, you need to see an oncologist and I was just like what and I was really confused and I didn't know anything about I didn't even know what oncologist was. So then. They did some more tests on me, and then they came and said, yes, you have a form of leukemia, a rare form of leukemia. And I was like, what the heck is that? I never, you know, I heard that word, but I didn't know what that was. And so then I learned that it was like a blood cancer that had something to do with my body, making too much white blood cells. At the time, it was actually like, it was just so shocking because I was doing really well in the music, and I I just kind of had that vision, like I was saying, for, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to use... You know, the finances from that to do these things. I had this idea for these children's centers. I wanted to make that top music. And that shifted everything because that changed to my timeline. That made me look a little bit quicker at how I could have an impact and not necessarily thinking about something I could do when I'm an old man.
0: We're back with another episode of At the End of the Tunnel. I am your host, Light Watkins. And if you're joining At the End of the Tunnel for the first time, this is a podcast about hope, where we share stories about individuals who've gone through, we'll call it a spiritual transformation, and now they're using their voice or their art or their platform to help make the world a better place. So last week, I profiled Dr. Steven Eisenberg, who discovered the healing power of music through his work in oncology. And this week, we're going to continue that theme with a recording artist and producer named Brandon Green, who's better known as Major. So after a high school friend played Major a CD with some beats that he had made on it, Major was inspired to try creating beats himself. A beat is the main tune that you hear in a song that a singer will sing over or a hip-hop artist will rap over. Well, Major's friend gave him a quick tutorial in how to make a beat, and then Major became obsessed making very bad beats at first, but then ultimately through practice he made better beats, and he started uploading them to MySpace back when MySpace was a thing, and that led to a chance encounter with a budding writer and producer named Trey Songs, whose career obviously has blown up since then, and that was Major's introduction to the music industry. He got his first gold plaque for production while he was still in college. And then later, he moved to Atlanta and then to Los Angeles while collaborating with Neo, who was one of the biggest songwriters in the industry. And that's when Major ended up writing and producing for top tier artists like Mary J. Blige, T. Payne, Drake, Justin Bieber, and many others. And Major eventually began creating his own music in addition to producing for others. And at the height of his career, he started getting pains throughout his body, and later he was diagnosed with a rare form of leukemia. And this was a turning point for him because while he imagined that he would eventually give back later in life, creating music centers for children and things like that, this diagnosis changed his timeline and it gave him more of a sense of urgency to find his true purpose, which he later discovered was to use his music to heal. And while on tour with Justin Bieber, he had an idea. I'm going to start writing positive lyrics for my songs and for the songs of others. But that resulted in sales flopping and people started wondering what happened to him. And he started to get depressed. But then he discovered the power of frequency and all the ways that he could use sound to heal people. And he began creating music at 432 hertz, which he discovered from the scientific community was the frequency that contained the highest healing properties. This led to an album called Volume 1 Frequency, which is billed as therapeutic music that is meant to not only be enjoyed, but to heal and soothe the soul. So in this conversation, we're going to unpack all of that and Major's journey of how he found his purpose to heal through music. And why we should consider listening to more music at the 432 hertz frequency as opposed to the standard 440 hertz frequency. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to artist and producer Major. Major, it's a pleasure having you on the podcast. Man, I'm super excited to dive into your story. So just thanks for making the time. To come on to at the end of the tunnel. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. What a blessing to be here. Dope, man. So I like to start these conversations talking about childhood. You grew up in Detroit, which we'll talk about in a second. But thinking back to little B
1: before you became major, <laughs> what was your favorite toy or activity as a child? Yeah, as a child, I I was really into basketball. I loved mm-hmm. basketball. Yeah, I thought I was going to the NBA when I was a child. So that that was my obsession. How
0: old were we talking
1: about when you first started to become obsessed with basketball? When I started playing, I was probably, I want to say maybe seven, eight, something like that. So you had a sister Were your mom and dad together? Did you guys all grow up in the uh, same um, house? My parents got divorced. My parents got divorced when I was pretty young. Uh, elementary school, I would say. But I definitely was grateful to have both of them in my life. So, not necessarily at the same time, but I would go visit each other. Yeah. And it was me and my sister. Yep. And I have a younger sister. She's awesome. I'm so so proud of her right now. She's Mm -hmm. doing so. She's awesome. And who put you on the, who put you on the basketball? What what made, who, who, who made you or what made you obsessed with it? It was big in my neighborhood. Everybody in my neighborhood was playing basketball. And it was just the first thing that I saw that was like unifying a lot of people together. And I knew that if I did good in that, I get a lot of attention and a lot of like, yo, wow, that's people get excited. If you do a crazy move, you know, I I I recognize that. And I think I liked, I think I liked that, you know, and at the moment I wasn't introduced to music yet. Were you a natural or did you have to practice a lot to be proficient? I have to practice a lot at everything to be good. (laughs) No natural at all. No, no, no. You're tall. I'm pretty tall, yes, but not for a basketball player. I'm tall for an average person, okay. like six two, you know, six three. That's that's not that tall for a basketball player. Those guys are tall, and then the guys who are my size are like who are playing professional are super fast and super, you know, like you know, it's another it's another thing. So, I'm grateful that I found music, <laughs> and that was okay. that was when I was about sixteen. Growing up in your
0: house, what was that vibe like? in terms of was it a religious household was your mom kind of overbearing do you have a lot of independence like
1: what was the vibe like growing up in those
0: early years
1: yeah well there was many vibes i went to 12 schools wow yeah i went to 12 schools in michigan all over so my mom my mom came from jamaica went to go to college by herself and she is an entrepreneur she was starting off at the beginning we lived in detroit like in the hood like in the beginning crazy hood and she was working she was starting businesses and figuring it out and making it happen and we were moving a lot and then also with my parents then they split up you know, we had to cook together then they split up then my dad was trying to you know they were both trying to do things and eventually my mom business got successful she started working and I got a chance to watch someone literally grow it. But it was very, I went through pretty much every kind of vibe because I lived in some of the worst places. And then I've got a chance to be now, you know, experienced to some beautiful places. And then I I had also the vibe of the summertime I would spend in Jamaica with my family who mostly lives in Jamaica. So I kind of experienced every vibe. As far as freedom like that, my dad was very strict very strict. He was military, he's a Marine, and he was very, very strict and very tough on me, you know, always. And I mean, growing up now, I understand it because at my mom's, I, you know, I'm a mama's boy, you know, you know, I can get away, you know, can get away with a lot. And my personality style is so free and creative that he probably was like, the only way that I could have learned some structure was through that form of what I felt was way over too much. But That's just because I'm just like a super free kind of thing. And uh, so, yeah, we we would clash a lot on that. But, you know, I know that my parents really cared about me and I was super blessed for that. My mom was always just encouraging me whatever I wanted to do. She was very encouraging and, you know, always believed in me. And I think that that's a big part of me being able to do a lot of, uh, you know, things that we've gone on to do is because of the way that my parents were. So I'm super grateful for, for the blessing.
0: When you were going to these different schools, do you remember being excited about going to a new school or were you kind of bummed out about having to go to a new school? Because that means you got to adapt and make all these new friends. Yeah. So did you,
1: were you excited about that? To be honest, it kind of made me cold a little bit. It kind of made me like a little bit where I, a gift and a curse. So it made me where I was able to get in any place and develop friends in a community fast because I did it so many times, but also I wouldn't really open my whole self to people because I knew I might be gone. So after a few times of that, I think I kind of developed a a little bit of a coldness in that way, which I think made me numb. So I, I was just kind of going, it was just happening. At first, I think I was a little bit nut- bummed about it. At first, I was the first few times, you know, like you get heartbroken, <laughs> you know, the first few times, and then there's that phase where you go through like... I don't care. I'm not letting you know, you know. You go through a heartless kind of phase. I think I was going through that, but just just because I didn't, I didn't want to go through that experience of losing friends again and again. So I will be able to connect with people and I still am able to. If I go to a new city now, if I go to a new place, I feel, you know, that's the blessing of it. Is I feel confident that I can connect and build a community quick.
0: Hey there, really quickly, you get to join me live for weekly meditations on Zoom and much, much more. That's thehappinessinsiders.com. The code is happy. All right, back to the episode. Also, you know, if you're dreaming of becoming a basketball player, you almost have to like play for the same school long enough to like rise up through the ranks and be a starter and all of that. So how did that fit into your plan, your ultimate scheme of of getting into the NBA? Was that frustrating for you?
1: Yes. But to be honest, I have never been a strategic thinker in that kind of down the line way. I was very present at that time. So I couldn't think that far ahead, to be honest. And that's why it's interesting because some people say for manifestation that you have to clearly visualize something in order to get it. And to be honest, some of the things I couldn't have even visualized because I had no concept of looking into the future. I was literally right there. But that's that's one thing I remember about my childhood for sure is that I did, did not think about the future. Whose mother was Edna? Was that your mom or your dad's mom? That was my mom. That was my mom's mom. Yes, she came. She was, live- yeah, she was very present with you. Very, very. She lived in our in our home. Yes, beautiful woman. Yes, beautiful woman. Do you remember any
0: lessons that you got from her or from your mom and your dad that really resonated and they echoed around your childhood?
1: Yes. The lesson specifically that my grandma showed me, she used to make this juice, passion fruit juice. (laughs) And it took a lot, you know, it took a lot for her to make that. You know, she'd go pick this. She got it, grew it herself, pick this. And to give us just this little bit of juice, just seeing how much effort she would go through to give us that joy. And like there would be goats coming to try to eat the things and she'd be fighting off the goats and having us go go throw the rocks at the goats, you know, like to get them away. Like this kind of stuff happening. And- it takes a village to make passion-proof juice, huh? passion-proof juice. So so she was just, her compassion was through the roof, which which rubbed off on me. I realized like that's one way that to show love and it feels good to receive that. And then just infinite lessons. But that's the main one that sticks with me is her life compassion. And she was also a nurse. So she was just caring in that kind of way that was beyond anything I, ha- I had really seen. And final question about childhood, what kind of student were you? I'd be pretty good. I was able to pass. I was able to pass my classes in terms of, I'm a creative thinker. I wouldn't necessarily learn the lesson, but maybe I'll talk to the teacher somehow, or maybe to be honest, sometimes I'll copy off someone's homework. I was able to get through the school system, but I'll, I never really was like a, a real studier or any, anything like that. I could kind of see what they were saying was going to be on the test. But the reason I was able to go to also really a really good college was because I did great on the standardized test, the ACT. So in that one, I did very high percentile. And that's how, that's how I was able to get into that college. Was Michigan the only college you considered going to? Yes. At the time, like I said, I wasn't thinking in the future. So I didn't know about college at all. And once I took that test and got those scores, colleges were mailing me stuff. I just asked my mom, what's the best college around here? Like, what's the best one? Michigan is the best one. And then I found out my friend was going to Michigan. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to just go there. It was like very just like that. I, I hadn't thought it through. I didn't even know what I would do after college. I had no clear vision at all. What year did you graduate high school? I want to say like two thousand five. Okay, so
0: two thousand five. We're talking Kanye. Who was like the who was like the summer yes. hit that summer?
1: Kanye. Kanye was crazy. Jay Z was crazy. Just listened to, listen to Dipset. I want to say G Unit the Fifty was out. I remember Nas Ether was out. Nelly was out.
0: A friend of yours showed you a CD. That's the word on the street. Somebody showed you a CD yeah. that inspired you to start yeah. getting involved in music. Talk about that experience.
1: No, I was, I remember it was crazy. Like I'm sure that when you've had these moments that maybe change your, your path, you can remember them clearly. But I was standing in this room called the Atrium, which is like this little downstairs area where you could they had, you know, you had like some chairs and stuff in there. And I was sitting in there and my friend. It's like, hey, listen to this, I made these beats. And I wanna say I could be tripping, but I'm pretty, I'm I'm pretty old, man. I think he I think he played it to me on a walkman. Like I think he had a disc man and he played it. Might have had an iPod, I don't remember, or, or MP3 player, but I think he had it on the CD. I'm pretty sure he had it on the CD. And he was like, listen to these beats, I made these beats. And something in my head was like, I was like, What? You made these beats? So yeah, I made these beats. I was like, I just was confused. I just was confused because I never knew anyone involved in music. I never knew really where music came from. I liked it. I listened to it. But when I saw something on TV, it looked so far away like a spaceship, like where, they, you know, a studio with all the knobs. And it just didn't look relatable at all. So once somebody that I knew told me they made it, my mind was blown. I just couldn't believe it. I was like, yeah, Yo, you got to show me this. And I don't know why I was so, like, interested. I just was like you got to show me this that sounds crazy and so he helped me download this program he told me the program i downloaded it and there's a demo version you couldn't save <laughs> you couldn't export <laughs> like so it was like you had to get everything right at that moment and try to record it on the phone or sh- i mean not even a phone at the time that was back then yeah you tried to, you had to try to record it through the boom box or something i don't know but yeah, that that just like started my journey. I was so surprised that I could actually do it, and then from there, I just got obsessed with that, and basketball kind of just went away a little bit. It was at that age too, where I was going to national camps and tournaments and stuff, and I was seeing guys who now play in the NBA and different people, and they were so advanced. I was like, oh no, nah, these guys are crazy. And some of the people who I knew who played on an older team to me were not going to like the biggest and best colleges and who I felt were so much even better than me so I kind of was like basketball just it was kind of fading away a little bit and the music was just coming in but the music was never considered for me as a career at all at that moment when he introduced me I just thought it was cool I was like this is so cool did you become obsessed with it though like were you up all night long obsessed I was making beats so much and like, and I didn't know. And like you said, was I natural? It was horrible. And so the sound was so <laughs> bad. And I was making it like, like my room was right next door to my mom's room and I was blasting, you know, so she, she wasn't happy about that. So it was like, I was getting into it, you know, so I started, but no, I, I loved it a lot. I thought it was just fun. What was your first beat that you made? Do you remember? It was trash. Did- it, was trash. it sounded like, I didn't understand the concept of music. So it, it was just random noises. It was just like, it was just, <laughs> it, was, it was just sounds in a row. Like it made no sense. It was like papers balling up. It was like, I had to literally understand what is music. I didn't know about rhythm. I didn't know about the metronome. I didn't know about anything. I had to learn that whole thing. It's like when people learn
0: graphic design and you see a flyer that they do and they have like every little effect in that one. Man, flyer. And
1: man. so then it's really a process of, of scaling back and simplifying the design. Yes. yes, it looks. Yes, it was. Man, my stuff was, it, that was trash. I, that was trash. I don't know. But for some reason, I thought it was I thought it was amazing. Right. <laughs> you
0: have to go through that phase, though, you know, because I think really what's calibrating is the feeling you have with it when you're doing it. And that's what ends up driving you forward. So
1: just cool to be able to put to walk in and there's nothing and walk out with a collection of sounds, something that I made that I could show someone and get a reaction and show them, yo, listen to that, that it didn't even matter if it was good or bad. To me, that idea was just so crazy. It was beyond Mm -hmm. like it was just crazy. And I, I liked that feeling and I still love that feeling. So you met Trey Songs through Jay, his cousin, or was it the opposite? I, wow, man! You know, wow. Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. I met him. I actually met Trey Songs through three people at the same time, which was like synchronicity, and okay. that's happening. I'm sure you know. So you t- talk about that. that story. How did that happen? Many times in my life. So, so Trey Songs, who went on to become quite an established artist at the time, I had never heard of him, but I met I met his cousin Jay. Around the same time I got I did an interview with a website at the time called Hip Hop Gang. That was like a industry kind of website that a lot of people went on. I don't even know if it still exists. But I was pretty young and I did an interview as a producer. And so managers and different people started reaching out to me and contacting me, contacting my family, like, hey, who's this guy? And one of those guys was named Bobby Fisher. And he connected me, and then Bobby Fisher connected me to this guy named Troy Taylor, who had signed Trey Song. So at the same time, while Jay was connecting me, Bobby Fisher and Troy were connecting me from two separate sides. And then I remember, you know, someone put me and Trey on the phone and I talked to him and then he said, yeah, you know, I'm about to get signed. I'm doing all this stuff. I'm going to get signed to Atlantic Records. And I, I had never met anyone like that in the industry or anything. And I was like, yeah, right. You know, kind of whatever. That's what my thought. And then we made some music. It was the first person I worked with in the industry because he indeed did get signed to Atlantic Records. And then that first album I produced on his project, and I, that's when I kind of came out to L.A. I was maybe 18 for the first time. And then my whole journey with music kind of started from there and in the industry part of it, you know, I, I, I had a journey before, but that started it. And it was synchronistic. And it's been like that many times. Like when I'm, I feel like it's when I'm supposed to meet someone, um, it, it naturally unfolds and it comes from multiple directions, which which also connects in my mind as some type of frequency, resonance or something happening there. And we talked
0: about that before the interview started with you and I coming together and multiple sources, yes. but was this before? Trace I, Hon-
1: I saw your talk about meditation and I actually shared it with someone. And so like, to be here with you is an honor, man. Thank you. That, <laughs> I, I, I actually... Gained some things from listening to that. That helps me in my practice. So thank you. Awesome, for that. awesome, hundred percent. So when you linked up with Trey Songs, that was
0: before Trey Songs was Trey Songs. I'm curious because there's obviously the money component to producing, and you're still new as a producer. Were you being driven by just wanting to do anything that you could do with anyone who seemed to be somewhat noteworthy, or was it like, hey, I'll do it?
1: But if you pay me, like, what was your thinking in leading Um, up to working with Trey? Yeah, at that time, it was just pretty much a whirlwind. It was all just happening. I was so I couldn't believe and I still can't believe that I was starting to do music for money. Because before I met him, I was doing music for local people who had first local people for free. Then I got a song in the local radio and then I started doing stuff with people charging money and so t- from that money I was able to get equipment and I had I i was the first person I knew around me that had a studio or had like an ability to even record and so I was so blown away by the fact that this was coming from something invisible that everything was just happening and I was just like what it's still I'm just like wow it, it was just more so than like i would have probably done that for free for those guys but they ended up <laughs> thousands of dollars and at that time to me that was so much money to me that was more than anyone i knew at the time like it was just a dream happening uh, to be honest at that moment so the stereotype about jamaicans is that they have multiple
0: jobs your mom <laughs> clearly is falling right into that stereotype yes yes she's exactly. that's that for and- sure And I heard you mention in an interview that she was very adamant about you staying in school while you were becoming successful as a music producer. So what was her thinking around these opportunities for you and why do you think she had that kind of influence over you to stay in school?
1: Yes, that's a good question. So at the time, no one in my family and still other than my little sister, no one in my family had been in the music industry or really really entertainment like that, that I, that I know of, you know, so, you know, you just hear the stories of, you know, how treacherous and dangerous and unsteady. I I heard all these stories and evil and and that the music industry and entertainment is. And so I think she was just, and, and I was, to be honest too, all all of us were kind of just a a little bit afraid of if would that be a viable long-term career path. So for me, I didn't even know if it would even work out. So I think it was just more so of her wanting me to have something like, you know, just the fear of the unknown, because no one, we didn't know anything about that. That wasn't in our family at all, really. So I think that's where that was coming from. And then her influence on me came because I also wasn't sure either. I had no experience with it. I didn't know if it was just people were interested right now. Would it would I be able to make enough to live a life? So I was like, OK, I, I got this opportunity to go to this school. My friends are going there. I could still do my music. I was traveling on the weekends and still doing music i was like if i can make it through i'm gonna do both and by the grace of god i, I was able to do both so i finished okay. school and did music the whole time before we get to that let's
0: cut to you in your dorm room you have this gold album hanging yes. on the wall right yeah and you're obviously still in school but you've done some production work for a bun b's Trill album now, 2021, you, you are a seasoned producer. You work with everybody, right? And I'm sure you may have people reaching out to you. You may come across kids, upstart producers, you know, working on their computer and stuff. When you look back at your 17, 18-year-old self starting out in this industry and you, you think about that gold album, was that beginner's luck or is there something that you did in those early days that it's like, okay, I could
1: see how that happened. Yeah. Looking back, I could see how that happened because I was spending a lot of time producing music and producing beats. I, I like I, You put in it your 10000 Short time basically. relatively, having a short time relatively as far as like amount of years, because I was only had been producing, I, I want to say maybe two years at that point, I want to say, which is pretty quick, I think, to get into the industry. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, to get like to where you're professionally paid for it, maybe not, but I was spending a lot of hours each day doing that. So even I remember in, in college, like sometimes, I mean, I would still party and stuff too, but a lot of times I would be just making stuff. And into the night, I spent many, many nights, many, many nights, many, many nights. I was asleep at the studio. So I, I was like now looking back at the time, I couldn't understand how it was happening. And because it was happening, I was like, "Well, I I recognized I had a rare opportunity. I was just working harder, like really trying to improve and really trying to focus on my craft, just to like keep it going." Because I was like, "This is crazy. This is happening." And then it just, um, yeah, uh, luckily hasn't stopped yet. Eighteen years later, or something, or whatever, you know. Yeah. Kanye
0: has that lyric. He did three beats a day five um, beats a day
1: for five summers five, five summers <laughs> <I> <laughs> that was you these numbers yeah right that was you okay yeah, so now, you put I, in your you put was, in your 10,000 hours then basically i did yeah, i did as a producer i have i have and i'm now learning you know putting that in in other forms of music on craft
0: I listened to Drunk in the Club, which was one of your first hit (laughs) records. Yeah, that's hilarious. Wow. But what's crazy about it is it's timeless. Like I can imagine that record playing today and hyping up the dance floor, people, whoever's on the dance floor. So the question is, what was your motivation in the early days in terms of your music? Because I'm sure that you know, as a young kid, you weren't thinking ahead about <laughs> you know spiritual themes Don't or anything just, like that. No,
1: no, no. I was talking about getting <laughs> fucked, man. I, I remember my, I remember my mom like, wow. my grandma's like, what? Why you make that song? But when I made that song, I was already years in the industry as a producer. I was behind the scenes for many years, and I was very comfortable in that role. Are you familiar with what an artist's demo is? Yeah. So for maybe for the listeners who aren't, um, there's a demo version is where another person is singing the song and they propose it, they show it to the artist, say, you know, there's an A-list pop artist that necessarily doesn't write their songs. They'll listen to another version, and if they like it, they'll remove the demo singer, and then they'll sing their voice on it. So I got blessed to be signed to Neo, When I was a producer, he was the top writer at the time, like, and he still is one of the top writers of all time, in in, in my perspective. And I saw him doing demos. So he would present it, and then if Beyonce or whoever liked it, then they would sing it. So I decided to do a demo. It was to present to an artist as, hey, this is the idea of how the song should sound. And after I made the demo, people heard that and said they liked how I was saying it. So I was completely surprised that they liked how I was saying it. I it, I thought it didn't sound good. I thought it was just more of a, a scratch to show them the idea. So a lot of those early songs were actually things I was writing for other people. At the time I was working, I think I was working with T-Pain. I think that's just the kind of music he was making, you know, and they liked how I was saying it and a lot of people liked it. And so I just ended up saying, okay, well, let me try if I just release it as my name, not even anticipating anything or anticipating success. And then, you know, the song started playing in the radio station and I got signed to a contract and all of these things unfolded that I hadn't necessarily had. And that's one of those, like I said, kind of cringe things for me going back, like to listen to like even to listen to that, to think about it, it was just like, I had no real intention. I didn't even understand the power of music at that moment. It was just like, this is trendy, this is going on. People like this, they think it sounds cool. Let's put it out and see what happens. Because I did have a vision to do something good, in the world but i was thinking more f- from a financial perspective using the mu- the money i was making from music i liked to try to make a hit song and get some money from it cuz my vision was initially to just try to you know build something positive using that money but you know that kind of shifted along the way you said you were signed to neo
0: and just for the for the record i want to know what that means but in a larger context like can you break down How the music industry works from your perspective, like as a young, early 20 something year old man going in, because I'm curious, like how that plays out in success, like the idea of success as a producer slash writer.
1: Yes. Yes. That's a very, very good question. I would love to share that because I always used to wonder that. So the way that I got in was through uploading music in MySpace which is no longer really relevant, but it's still the well, same. Well, YouTube, kind of YouTube, people upload to YouTube. YouTube now. Exactly. So it's still the same concept. For, for someone aspiring to enter the music industry, the way that I, the way that I do it mm-hmm. and the way that I see most people who've done it, not saying is the only way, but it's through putting something out that you genuinely vibe with and, and then it kind of finds you. So the way that it found me was th- under the form as a beat producer because I was just putting up beats. And one person started rapping on it, one person started rapping. So my sales card has always just been the music. I haven't, to be honest, been particularly successful with politic politics or finding the right manager to get me in the door to do this. All the relationships pretty much that I've built and gained through this time have been just, um, pretty organic. So for me at that time, what considered a success for me was getting a placement is what they called it. And that, and a placement means that you, an artist is using my music and either they wrote lyrics to it or a songwriter wrote lyrics and a melody or a structure a song to my music. Because at that time, I was only doing music. And then it got released. And at that time, the only things that really matter, you know, were monetarily were major label releases. So if it was released through Warner Music, through Atlantic, through Sony, through Jive, through Def Jam or something like that, then you'd get. A producer fee, which at the time I think I was getting like maybe twenty thousand dollars or something to produce a song. And if I produce three songs in the guy's album, I get sixty thousand dollars, which was unheard of for anything <laughs> I'd ever experienced. Like <laughs> you know, I, I used to get like five hundred a week at the shoe store or something like this, you know, like way low. So like and everyone I knew. And at the time, you know, I think that first one I for Trey, I think I produced two songs in his album. I was getting maybe fifteen, thirty. You know, something like that. So for me, that was huge. But what that is is that's an advance, which I later learned is basically they give you that in the front, and so whatever you ask for, say it, say it is ten thousand. So you get ten thousand dollars advance until your record earns that, where they can prove that the record label can prove that it has earned ten thousand dollars. You don't make anything, so it's just it's just kind of an advance. And the only way, I mean, you can win if the album doesn't sell anything, then. You got a free 10K, but usually it, it earns a lot, lot more. And then afterwards you, you do a split, you do a profit split. And so I started learning. I mean, at the time that was way more than I had ever experienced, but I started learning like later on how much it was actually generated. And I was like, wow, this is, this is crazy. So just getting a placement to me was important. Just even getting a writer to write, a known writer or someone in the industry to write on the beat or an artist to record on it. That was like my biggest wish, you know? So I knew that if I could connect with Neo at the time, he was the hottest writer, in-demand writer. And so that was like a portal for me to get. And I did. I worked with, we worked with like Mary J. Blige, we worked on The Princess and the Frog. We worked on so many awesome projects as a result of being connected with an awesome songwriter. So at the time... And still, a producer and a songwriter are very connected. So an aspiring songwriter, I would say try to find someone who's coming up who's a great producer to work with or someone. And then, you know, from the producer side, try to work with someone who's a great songwriter and you guys connect. And that's a, a, another direct way to get in and to have some success.
0: Can you listen to a song or hear a beat and know that this thing is going to be a hit? Like, what is it that makes a a good
1: song or a good beat? That's a good question. Can I tell if it's a hit? Pretty good. Pretty good. I could pretty much tell if it's a if it's a hit. I, I think that it's the energy. I think it's the energy. Like I've also heard some and I, and I first didn't understand it. And then I heard them in the in the environment which they were created for. And then I understood it. Can Beyonce take a bad, really written song and make it a hit? You want me to tell you my theory? Right, since you, since you asked, I have a theory about this. I think that it takes, okay, let's say. One hundred energy points to make a hit. Let's just call it. I'm just making up an <laughs> arbitrary number. It's uh-huh. one hundred energy points. Sometimes the beat can be fifty. Sometimes the beat can be eighty. The beat is so high that the artist only has to give twenty. Mm-hmm. Or art- artist gives ten, and maybe marketing gives five. Maybe management, maybe music video. You know, it could be anything. The video could be. 30 the songwriting could be 70 sometimes the artist is already like some artists like Beyonce or someone, is like 80 already so if like, they walk into the song all you gotta give them is like you know like and, and I, I see that with Justin too with uh, with JB like is <laughs> like he's already so you just give him something good and he's gonna take it further some artists that aren't as strong will take like I won't say as strong, but maybe they, they, whatever that hit point is. And it doesn't right. mean better or worse artistically. It's just it's like an energy of it. Uh, some people have, you know, some people, they, they might need a song that's 100. But there's a threshold. And once and a lot of things can cross it over that point. What's interesting is you never
0: made it to the NBA, but Lights Down Low was adopted by was. The Boston Celtics. How <laughs> did
1: that was. happen? And how hyped were you when you found out? That that was gonna get played at all of their games. Man, that was hype, man. When I saw that, that was on that was on a commercial too. That was super cool. We because we were watching it that year. Remember my friends and we used to just hear that beat playing all the time. That's that's one of those ones. They say like failure is like an orphan and success has many parents. I don't know. It's like ten people, ten different people told me that they made that happen for me. So I really don't know. Like after it happened, someone said, "Yo, I connected this to the NBA." And my label said that then manager said that at the time and this person so i don't know do you remember where you were when you wrote that song and were you thinking that big for that no particular way song? no way yeah i remember i was i was in my house in atlanta no way i wasn't thinking that and then that's crazy because that song also had a resurgence recently through tiktok it became a trend and it's getting millions of plays right now it's an old song that i like honestly don't even really super resonate with like i don't even really make music like that anymore which is Interesting. But yeah, no, I didn't even think about the NBA. No way. It sounded too dirty for corporate world, you know. (laughs) I didn't even think they would use that. I was surprised.
0: (laughs) What's interesting though about a lot of these songs that hit is it's like you have to write or produce five hundred beats to get to that one.
1: But you never know which one is gonna be. Yeah. Right. But the truth is when I'm doing it, I think everyone is it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you kind of have to though. You kinda have to. Yeah. So how do you how do you know when a beat is done? What, what's the feeling like? Two ways. If I'm working with someone directly in the room, I try to finish it quick. as So I it, it's going to be usually a lot sparse. It's going to be very sparse because I want to keep the vibe going when it's done. I think that's just a feeling. I think that's more of a feeling. It's hard to really say. But I think you just kind of you just can feel it like, oh, yeah, that's done. One thing I learned from some veteran producers was also like a progression in song. So like I try not to just make it just be one loop all the way through over and over. I try to, you know, make it have different waves, different plot, story, intro, outro, all of those things. And when it feels like a a solid flow, then it's just it's done.
0: Who are you aspiring to Not emulate or be like, but you were like that their career. Like, I really love what they're doing right now in production. And like, was it Dark Child? Was it Kanye? Was it? Back then? Yeah, back then. Back then when you were like starting out. Yeah. And just getting success. Timbaland. It was just Blaze. Kanye. Were you privy to their process or did you have to kind of invent your own work process?
1: I mean, I would watch anything (laughs) I could find on YouTube, but it wasn't really a lot. And it was very, the barrier to entry was hard because they were using hardware and I was expensive. Like now a lot of the top producers use software so a kid could just jump in directly, directly at the level. But at that time, it wasn't like that. So I kind of had to figure it out myself, but they left it. They left it in their work. Like every, like that's why I think it's important to study the great people. It's right there. What they did is right there. You could just hear it. So like I would listen, I, I would try to copy, I would try to copy your beats. What sort of reputation did you develop as a producer in the industry? Like, what would people come to you for specifically? I was producing hip hop. I was producing hip hop beats. And so like, even when I produced Trey songs, I didn't know how to produce R&B music. I was just giving him, him beats with like samples. And at the time, that was the t- time of, of dip dipset And like soul samples were like a crazy kind of trend jay-z and stuff like that so i was making a lot of just mostly hip-hop music something stuff with hard drums i didn't know how to play any instruments so it was mostly about the hip-hop kind of vibe was what i was into how'd you meet justin bieber that was crazy actually i like i was talking about how things just naturally you know wasn't it really any political things i was making mixtapes out of my house little mixtapes were just like Stuff in there. I was just freestyling and I would use samples. I wouldn't clear it. It was just like free, free music. I was just putting out just, just freestyling and just doing crazy stuff. It would be like a eight minute song. It would be like an interlude. It was like stories in there. It was just fun. Like I was just kind of creatively expressing myself. And in one of the lines, I didn't know Justin. And this was during the time when he was singing Baby. He was super famous, but he wasn't like how he is right now. So no one was like really mentioning him in songs is what I mean. Uh, maybe, maybe they were, but I, didn't. I had never heard that. And I said his name in a song as a joke about some aliens and this funny thing. And he heard it. He heard it through. I didn't, I didn't know that some people I knew knew him. And he heard it and then through like the Internet and it started. And then he just messaged me one day and hit me up. And I, I didn't think it was him. Someone tried to FaceTime me and I didn't know the number. So I didn't answer for a while a few days, I think. And then they said, this is Bieber. And I thought, I thought it was, some. I just didn't think it was true. true. And then my boy called me like, yo, he's trying, he's trying to reach you. And I knew he knew him. And then, and then he FaceTimed me. And then since then, we just been locked in. Because
0: I've listened to a lot of your music and it has the same sort of, in my amateur ears, it has the same sort of cadence as Justin Bieber and what I love about Justin Bieber so I'm wondering if your style kind of blended to that or if he adopted
1: your style or how did that work I think we probably are influenced by a lot of the same things and then Mm -hmm. in that way influenced by each other yeah because there's a crew a crew of people who we've been working with for most of his career just musically and just so now we I think we just understand each other and we just kind of rub off on each other I think a little bit because you Just, have a beautiful voice, man. Thank you.
0: Thank you. Thank I mean, you. When you were doing those demo tapes, did you take vocal
1: lessons or was that always did nope. like, you have a natural ability to sing? No, at the time I wasn't taking any lessons, but I, I was using a lot of I was using a lot of studio magic, too. Like I wasn't necessarily learning how to sing like I would sing like like, you know, one verse and it stopped. And then if I didn't like it, I would listen again, and I was singing again, and I, and I stopped. And I was singing again, and stopped. So, like, I had a lot of patience. It wasn't just, like, I was a natural, like, classical virtuoso or anything. But I did kind of know what sounded good to me, and then I was mm-hmm. grateful that other people liked that. But I didn't think of myself as a singer. I still, I'm just learning. I started, like, during the pandemic, I started some vocal vocal classes online, and I was that was really awesome.
0: What was the moment as a producer where you felt like you found your voice? You know, not, and I don't mean that literally, but just the way your style you because, you know, I'm sure in the early days you were heavily influenced by whoever the, art, the artist said, I don't like that. You're like, OK, well, what else? And you were very accommodating. But I'm sure there's a point in your career after you have enough reps under your belt where you're like, no, this is it. You don't know what you're talking about. This is where we need to go with it. What was that? <laughs> what was that moment?
1: Yeah, like, no, that's a, <laughs> that's funny. No, I don't do that. I don't do that uh, when I when I'm producing. I never do that. If 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 the artist wants to go somewhere else, because because I, I realize, especially now too, that I'm an artist too. They have to yeah. sing it every day. They got to sing that <laughs> forever, forever. If it becomes a hit, they got to go out and play that every day. So I understand. Like now, I I'll just go where they're trying to go, no matter what. Even if it's an upcoming artist with no no success at all and just starting out i'll just f- kind of follow them and then but what i do often do is if they don't like it a direction that i had i keep it for something else i always still use it and i'll just give them what they're trying to get and then i'll just use that for, for something else right you know and that's that's worked out before where you know it became a better situation for the vibe of what that music was so i just let it i just let it flow
0: So I'm a big Kanye fan. And, you know, obviously Kanye's career, there was a moment where he was trying to be an artist, but everybody rejected him, said, nah, you're a producer, you know, stick to production. You're not a rapper and all of that. And you kind of went through the same transition. I don't know if you had friction or rejection in that regard, but I did read that when you became an artist and you started to express yourself as an artist, one of the expressions that you decided upon was this whole upside down thing. And the the label was like, no, nah, that's whack. It's corny. People are not going to be able to understand why you're doing that. But you you were insistent upon that. And I'm wondering where that came from. Was there like an inner guidance in doing that? Or what made you like think outside of the box
1: in that way? And why did you stick to your guns on it? By the way, I saw last year Ariana Grande used that whole thing for her album. (laughs) By By the way, just last year. Well, I feel like, especially at the beginning, I didn't fully transition into being an artist. I just kind of threw out a song and it catched momentum. So I think at the time I even still view myself as a producer. I feel like just now I'm more kind of putting more stuff out as an artist than as a producer. I still have a lot of stuff that I'm working on as coming out as a producer, but it's less just like I'm working with the people that I really want to work with. And I'm just now as an artist, I'm starting to find more freedom in that expression. And Like how I said, as a producer, I'll always follow what the artist is saying there is something freeing about being able to be the one who makes, who chooses the direction and being able to create that. And then that merges very well with my sound, bringing sound healing to the, you know, my vision of bringing sound healing to the mainstream. Mm -hmm. That freedom is like, you know, sometimes if I'm working with someone else, they might not understand or even be interested in doing that. So being an artist, I have complete freedom to just focus on what I want I do remember when I first, first started writing, before I became an artist, I went into the, to record, into the booth, and this girl who was a songwriter, I remember her being like, oh, they just think anyone can do it now. Like, she didn't know I heard her. She's like, oh, they just think anyone can do it. I remember people being like that. Like, I was like, oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I was like that. And I'm pretty sure, you know, that it's people who now know me as a, Producer for so long that I even probably now like confused like why is he using his own music? You know, it's probably even weird to them because once you know someone as a certain thing, as humans tend to kind of box them into that. Like, oh no, that's the guy from down the street, like, or that's my little brother, whatever. You know, I think that the willingness to go through that uncomfort is what is the only way to get to. I think that that friction keeps a lot of people from taking that step, but for me, it's just obvious. Yeah, I never really pay so much attention to what other people say Say I should be doing. So if there is friction, it doesn't. I don't really notice it that much, to be honest. And your artist name also evolved over the years. You went from yes. B
0: Major, Major Ali to Major. Can you just tell the story of Major and how you
1: came yes. about that name? So both my grandmothers, their name are Mae, M-A-E. So Ed, there's Edna Mae on my mom's side and Annie Mae on my dad's side. And so um, kind of in a tribute to people who made me just M-A-E-J-O-R. And at first it was B major, like you said, from my uh, given name is Brandon. And then, you know, music is related to major. So I spelled it M-A-E-J-O-R. And then as I became more serious into launching my music, you know, in a, in a global way, we just shortened it down to major, M-A-E-J-O-R. There was some resistance on that because... I had already built a fan base and and millions of views. I think hundreds of millions of views under other names, under B Major and Major Ali, and my team and people I was working with didn't think it was good for business because, like, branding. But I just saw a a different, bigger picture that you know we wanted to create, and so I just changed it and was launched Major.
0: was it three years ago when you got the diagnosis that was
1: about eight or nine years ago so we'll talk about that experience what were the symptoms and what was that day like when you found out yes so that was at the time i was in Atlanta. i was producing having great awesome success i couldn't believe it and then i started getting pain just all over my body i was feeling just bad my arms were hurting like then went to my legs then. I couldn't sleep and uh, it was like weeks of like i didn't exactly know what was happening but i was just in such pain i was taking a lot of pills and stuff just trying to you know get the pain away i went to this doctor they thought it was bursitis i went to this doctor they thought it was that so then uh, one lady i went to and she took a blood panel from me and she called me she called me and, and, and said you need to come you need to go to this place immediately i think you to see an oncologist. And I was just like, what? And I was really confused. And I didn't even know what oncologist was. So then they did some more tests on me. And then they came and said, yes, you have a form of leukemia, a rare form of leukemia. And I was like, what the heck is that? I never, you know, I heard that word, but I didn't know what that was. And so then I learned that it was like a blood cancer that had something to do with my body making too much white blood cells. And so my parents my dad was, was still alive at the time. He and my mom, they came, they flew down to Atlanta. So I think they were, you know, everybody was pretty thrown off and shocked and like a little worried. Like what happened? So I'm, we had, you know, talks with these doctors, oncologists. Luckily, I met this awesome team that they really were good. We still have a good relationship today, but I don't this team of doctors and nurses who really helped me. I went through like a little chemo thing just to get back to kind of normal. And, you know, thank God it's nowhere near anywhere like a fatal moment at this point at all, which is great. But it's still, you know, technically there. So I still go to the oncologist every every often to get checks. But at the time, it was actually like just so shocking because my music was having, you know, I was doing really well in the music. And I I just kind of had that vision, like I was saying for, oh, I'm thinking I'm going to use you know, the finances from that to do these things. I had this idea for these children's centers. I wanted to make that top music. And that shifted everything because it had changed to my timeline. That made me look a little bit quicker at how I could have an impact and not necessarily thinking about something I could do when I'm an old man. Because being in there, just being in that office, and seeing all those people and just the whole experience was just so, it was a lot to go through. But I didn't ever think I was going to die from it, honestly. I didn't think that. I just thought, okay, it's part of my story. So cool. From there, I just found ways to, you know, to work through it. But I always knew that it was going to be, like, a part of my story. And and for me, me, it helped me to just focus on what I wanted to do quicker. Now, thank God, feeling healthy, but it put me on my path quicker. Which is leukemia
0: is, something you could recover from? Does it go into remission or you could live with it your whole life? Yeah, if, if you have
1: below a certain percentage, 0.00 something, then I can stop taking any treatment, no medicine, no chemo, no nothing. And it doesn't come back for a lot of people. So I just got to get to that number. And I haven't, I haven't quite got there yet, but it's still a low number right now where I don't, you know, I'm not feeling any pain or anything like that.
0: What was your spiritual or... Centering practice at the time. Did you have
1: anything to kind of help with managing stress or that kind of heavy news? I was definitely, you know, a raised Christian, and at that moment, I think I had developed, you know, what I like to call like a relationship with God. I always felt that I had a connection with some sort of relationship, however, someone would define that. But I always felt that I had a connection. So I didn't I, at the time. I didn't lean really into it many external things. I think at the time I was just pretty numb. And at the time I went actually a little bit after I went into a depression, I kind of went down a little bit, started thinking about purpose and different things. And, you know, it went, it went pretty rough during that time. Was
0: that what inspired you to get involved in the soup kitchen initiative
1: and things like that? To be honest, that was my dad. When we were little, he would always, we would go do volunteering. Even when we didn't have that much, we would go volunteering, though like giving and stuff like that. So that was, that was my dad's influence. But eventually you were exposed to sound healing? Yes. So once i had that diagnosis like i, I kind of started figuring out like trying to figure out well, what is my purpose you know and then and, I, and then it hit me like no matter how much i earn from this music it's going to be some people who financially are born into more than i could ever earn so like it just didn't make sense really. the ultimate just, measure of success
0: anymore yes
1: yes it didn't feel like that was the, even how i could be the most impactful i felt like mm-hmm. you know so I was just felt like a little bit like I was wasting my life or something. I, did, I didn't know. Or just even, <laughs> I don't know. I didn't have any other real skills, you know, to help people with. So I don't know. I was just messed up. And I, I went actually on tour. I actually, one of the tours was with, with Justin. Mm-hmm. And show a hundred like hundreds of thousands of people. It was so much people couldn't see. And everyone was on the same vibe because of something we created, like, alone, you know, or, and that was when I realized that the power for what I could do to change and to help things was actually in that because it was see of people who probably don't even speak a lot of English. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, some people didn't speak English. Some people didn't. Even, some people didn't even know each other. Some people, you know, came separate, but everybody was vibing off of that. And so I was like, OK, that's that's the tool. So I started trying to write like my first thing was I'm going to write positive lyrics. I'm going to write these hopeful things. And my sales flopped, everything flopped, everything went down. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> so I was getting so you out. weren't you weren't hitting that 100 points. <laughs> no so way. The message, I I the was, message was, was only <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> my, my sales were flopping. Everything was like <laughs> people asking what happened, you know, not one. <laughs> I'm trying to go in the studio, convince people. They weren't feeling it. I wasn't even really feeling it, you know? So I figured it was, like, something else I had to learn. So that's when it led me on a journey of, I mean, every everything started opening. Like, I met these people from the yoga community who started talking to me about, like, the power of frequency. And I, I thought that was a little bit too woo-woo, to be honest. At the time, I didn't believe it. And then I started meeting people from the scientific community. So it felt like it was just laid out clearly for me. I didn't even really do anything special. I just met the white right people from both sides that made it make sense to me and I was already in the mainstream music industry so that I understood that kind of thing and then from that moment I met the resident science people we went to Peru we went to Egypt we studied different parts of sound I started learning just all the way sound affects people from mantras from binaural beats to all of these different things and then it just made sense to do that and, and make that my mission and that's when I started really more focusing on doing an artist project to a series that's what i released the first album volume on frequency which thank you for having that on the meditation it's daily meditator the daily meditator yes thank you so that's that's kind of what unfolded the whole journey so it's actually like a blessing
0: you were hanging out with yoga people and resonant sound people and going to peru and egypt what was your link to these people? Was it the girl you were dating at the time? Like who introduced you to this whole other community?
1: Yoga, I met through, I moved to California. I was living in LA and that was just something I noticed people were doing. It was just like a trend. It was just Mm -hmm. like a trend. And people invited me. And at first I went to high yoga and I was like, wow, this is crazy. I had never, I had never sweat like that. I was breathing. And then It was just always a a good vibe. The people in there were always nice. It was cool. So I started liking yoga a little bit. And then I met. Would you go by yourself or would you go with other people? I would go by myself. And I I would get invited to. Yeah, I would get invited to different classes by people. Yeah, for sure. Were you that guy that would go to
0: a party? Like, you guys got to come to hot yoga, man. Check it out. It's so good. It feels (laughs) so good coming out of it people like yeah 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 all right all right i did Let's encourage you, we'll, we'll you people
1: i'm not gonna lie i did encourage <laughs> people to, but i wasn't in a party like that nah. right I in a party lit i was in a party lit <laughs> okay but i was definitely enjoying enjoying yoga i'm a person who likes to try pretty much everything you know even from a spiritual perspective i i, I was reading different books and just like i was just expl- and even from knowledge or from different diets I like to just try it out. And so when I actually found like a yoga actually relaxing kind of meditative effects and just, it was just a good vibe. So I liked yoga. And then the science community I met through this guy named Adam Curry kind of opened my door to that is because he was doing a study of, I'm also a nerd on like, you know, and I was studying consciousness and there was this guy who had, it, he was measuring consciousness through an app. I thought, I was like, what? How is this? And I started watching like a couple of things and I reached out to them and they had this lab in Newport and I you know, begged them for a while, can I come to the lab? And they were kind of like, I think suspicious, who's this guy? Must have come <laughs> to the lab. And then uh, <laughs> they finally led me, he finally led me. And then I met, I, I wasn't even planning to meet anyone to do with music. I was thinking about like just consciousness and technology. And then I met people who mirrored to me what the yoga people were saying but from a science perspective, so that that like helped me to take it more seriously, and it just felt like it was. It just felt, you know, when you feel like it's just lining up.
0: That must have been so bizarre for them to have this like rapper singer
1: guy in a Rari driving down yes. to <laughs> to the lab. Yeah, to the lab. They were laughing. They were laughing. I had on a trench coat, and <laughs> right. They were laughing. But no, they think it's cool. I, and, they, and we get along great because I'm trying to sh- help share their stuff to my audience and I'm learning from them and we get along great. Like that community, the science, I've built so many good relationships from that. And every time I go somewhere like a conference or I just meet people and they bring like, the you know, the people who are the heads of these different organizations. I've met, I met doctors now because of it. I met people who design. You know, different meditation technologies. I met like monks, all of this, you know, it just keeps unfolding beautifully. Like, just grateful. I met you. Come on, man.
0: (laughs) How'd you find out about the frequency bit, the 440 versus 432 versus 444? Is that something that all producers know about, or did you?
1: No, I didn't know about that from the music industry. First, I learned about that from yoga. People were talking about like, oh, yeah, there's music in these frequencies to help for this and this music frequency help for this. And I was like, what? I was like, yeah, I didn't believe it because I had never heard of it. And no one talks about that in music, in the music industry. Once the science people mirrored that to me, I was just like, wait a minute, there may be something here. It just felt like the universe was speaking to me at that moment. And I met also Jay Shetty, who told me about how the mantras they use are each mantra is a unique tone designed to change their state of consciousness and so that the the actual sound is power in the current and you know how they believe that in the, in, the, in their traditions and i was just like wow you know it, it just all started clicking at the same time it was just like destiny
0: So a hertz is the number of waves in a second, or the number yeah. of frequencies in a second. So the talk amount- about the differences
1: in those three calibrations. So hertz is the amount of times in one second that a wave goes up and down. So when you start talking about megahertz and gigahertz, which are cell phone or microwave, that's that's going thousands or million, you know, um, of of times a second up and down. That's a very tiny, short wave, and the human ear can hear from about. Thirty hertz to about twenty thousand hertz, something like that, and anything in that range, any sound that's resonating in that range, our ear can perceive it. That's why dogs can hear stuff that we can't hear because it's a little bit out of our frequency range. Obviously, still exists; they can hear it. So, there's a certain tuning that has been standard in our music for you know the last significant any period of of standard pop music has been. 440 hertz and it's just the standard tuning that every which means in one second the wave goes up and down 440 seconds and that and that means for a that means for a it goes like that so each note has its own particular frequency but it's just that's the standard tuning that everyone uses and has been using and and it doesn't matter the genre it could be country it could be pop it could be hip-hop whatever you know it's just the standard and no one really In my world that I I was aware of really even questioned it, it was just kind of normal. I didn't even know why. I didn't even think about it. I didn't even know if it could have an effect. So once I started getting aware that the actual frequency itself could have, you know, it was having an effect on matter, I just started to look, look at it a little bit more. And I started with 432 and 444 because 440, like I said, we've been hearing that for so long. Our ear is accustomed for that, for pop music that's just what we are used to. So I didn't want it to sound like yoga music or spa music or anything like that. And so, so that's why I chose that. And then 432 has a special significance we learned about from the Egyptians. Um, you can, t- you know, look that it was crazy. There's a lot of connection with 432 and, and 444 as well, which has a connection to 528 Hertz, which a lot of people believe is connected to love and a lot of things, you know, but language is kind of limited in a sense for me to describe what music is, you know, but it's definitely I'm I'm happy to inspire the idea of consciously choosing a frequency with the intention to provide some sort of gift or, or a better resonance or harmony to the listener.
0: You even started your album with a song called "Intention," which I've never heard before. Yeah. An artist actually stating what their intention is before. Oh, yeah the album starts it's like at, at the beginning beginning of a yoga class that's what it reminded me this of is the
1: intention yes this is the intention One Do second. people think you lost your mind or people think that's cool so when i first started with the whole frequency project i was signed to a division within a major label i don't want to say them because i don't i i still have a great working relationship with them and to, we work on other stuff together. And I, as a producer, I still work them, and I have a great personal relationship with many people. But when I explained the whole idea of I want to make music that is bringing sound healing mainstream, they didn't get it. <laughs> they weren't feeling it. I was in the that's board. That's how room. you know. That's how you know it was
0: the right thing to do. By the way, Go
1: yeah, <laughs> I was in a boardroom with all of those guys, and they had on suits, and they're like looking at me, and like, "What's your vision? You know, what's your plan? What do you got?" And I'm like, oh, "I got this great thing. going." We're gonna heal up with music, like you know. <laughs> they're like, man, I don't know, bro. Like they're like, I, don't, I could just—it was like quiet in the room. It felt weird. I was like, okay, this—they weren't feeling it, you know, to be honest, because they—and—and and as I understand that, that's a business. That's the their priority. Their priority in that environment is to run a successful business. So I understand that. But at my at that time, my priority was shifting from just financial success. And what even is that, you know, to impact and, you know, using my gift in a way that I felt like was the most authentic way and most beneficial way, you know, because I started realizing what the cancer gave me, like a, a little bit of like, one day we're not going to be here, you know. So it was actually a good thing because it made me think, OK, I should actually do something, whatever it is that I'm trying to do, I should do it. You would think, though, that
0: having produced so many songs, you're nominated for three Grammys. You know, you have developed an ear for recognizing what works, what doesn't work. You would think they would trust you at that point. Even if you said, hey, I want to do music about hippopotamuses or whatever, they would know <laughs> you're not going to do something crazy. You know, they would know that it was going to be within the quality range, the spectrum yeah. of, of the quality that you were doing. So it's interesting that they didn't have that trust in you.
1: Yeah, no, they didn't. They didn't have that trust.
0: <laughs> You're only as good as your
1: your last as thing, your last one, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was actually like, I mean, they they did a great thing. They released me at a time when I had just released a song that went on to become gold. And most of the time, like they're supposed to hold you, and most people would. So they we they recognized that I wanted to do something else. And because I had such a good relationship for me, they still didn't keep me contractually held because that was holding me up from what I felt was my purpose at that time. And then I wanted to leave here on earth, you know, like forget the music industry, what I wanted to leave here on earth for my art. So I had that whole project with the intention at the beginning and it just sat for a year. They didn't they didn't put it out. The label didn't put it out. Volume One Frequency. They didn't put that. Volume out? One Frequency. It didn't. It didn't come out for a. It didn't come out for a year, and then the pandemic happened. And the pandemic happened. Everything started like, I guess maybe the label wanted to release more stuff because maybe they needed more catalog during the time. Maybe they were losing from touring. I don't. I don't know what happened, but they suddenly changed and said, "I don't know if it was just the time from God saying it's okay. It's time to come out right now." That's you know that's really what it is. something changed and they said okay you can release it and in releasing it that released me from my obligations to the contract which was beautiful and it also was great for me because I wanted and this may be a little bit of my ego to be honest but I did want to timestamp that I was the first artist in my world doing that that for some reason I felt that was important to me I I wanted to be like yes you can go look at the time, because I feel that intuitively that a lot of people are gonna do this, I just feel like a lot of people are gonna do this, so I was super grateful to be able to do that first and on and on that project, we label every song with the frequency, which is something new in my world that hasn't hasn't been done it's almost like
0: medicinal a little bit because you're like these frequencies can heal insomnia and anxiety. And depression and Parkinson's. The only thing it can't heal is racism, <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> which is why you got involved in the inner city arts. Yes, exactly. Yes, that's why we um, we, we connect <laughs> with this place. Got a place called Home, which is a beautiful place that helps children from all over. Yes, but but what what, what can heal racism? I, I believe. And in speaking two things to, into the healing, I don't actually. Try to say that the music itself is healing someone's sickness. But what I believe is that our bodies have infinite healing potential. And when we have the right tools and the right things, like when we're in that right state, when we're drinking the right water, when we're eating the right foods, when we're excess, whatever that is, in the right balance, listen, feeding ourselves the right things, musically can be one of those things. Our bodies have the power to heal themselves. So I believe that the music is a tool to kind of help. Put us in that state is the same way as you. I'm sure experienced in meditation. In the same way, I view the music, and then in terms of the racism, I believe that the way, just personally, and who knows that the way to change things like that are through people's consciousness really expanding into a way where they see that that that, that is where they see it, where they where they can see it. Because telling someone, y'all, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong, don't do that. that I don't, I, you know, I never really see no success with that. And so mm-hmm. I think that art can be a tool if used intentionally to, or sometimes even not used intentionally, but to bring people's consciousness open. Even if you're just listening to a same song and singing with someone who looks different to you or you're vibing with them through music, sometimes you can form a connection that can break a wall. Or sometimes we just can hit those moments where we hear the right song and something shifts. Boom. Or we see the right photo or we see the right movie and it, it touches a part of us that, you know, here's the right podcast. So that's, I think, is especially as creators, our responsibility is to always be pushing that and giving more opportunities for that to happen in the world.
0: I read that when you listen to Spotify, it's in 440 hertz. But you have... No, that's not true, that's not, no. that's not accurate. You can so upload if I, any song
1: to Spotify.
0: Okay. So if I hear a song that is in 432 Hertz, that's what I'm experiencing is yes, 432 yes. Hertz.
1: I yeah. No, they don't have a way to convert your frequency back. No, no, no. Nothing okay. like that. Beautiful. Do you know Julie Pilot? I'm familiar. Yes.
0: She's from the radio, right? Yeah. From the radio, but she's also on the board of A Place Called Home. She's the one that like, got me Home, involved yeah. in A Place Called Home several years ago, which was a fantastic experience for me as well.
1: I know of her. I don't know her very well, but I, I, I did hear that she was a part of a place called home. Yes, I did hear that.
0: You've mentioned many times that success no longer is about making money and what all that. What is your definition of success these days? Service to others
1: is my definition of success these days. Beautiful.
0: I love that. Well, look, man, I want to tie this back around to something we started off talking about in the beginning, which is your love for basketball. But more so than, than that, the reason why you love basketball and the thing that stood out was this idea of unifying people. And it seems like your trajectory has taken you in that direction. You know, it starts off in, hey, I'm really excited about making this art. But the ultimate purpose of the art is to bring people together on the dance floor when you're young. And then that transitions into exploring these different frequencies in a way to bring consciousness, to uplift consciousness, collective yes. consciousness. Yes. And, and that's your unique way that no one else in the world and really no one else in history is able to do in the way that you're able to do it, having had the accumulated experiences that you've had combined with this knowledge of science and of yoga and of the frequencies of words and sounds and music. And so I just want to acknowledge you, man, for using that period of your life where you found out that you had leukemia and you had a little bit of depression for using that, and converting that into something really positive. I personally think everybody's on that path. You just, if you haven't experienced it yet, at some point you will, but that path, when you hit your dark tunnel, that's why this is called at the end of the tunnel, because everybody goes through that dark tunnel moment at some point. And When you hit your version of that dark tunnel, you can let it overtake you, or you can use it as an opportunity to come out the other side of that cocoon and become the butterfly on your purpose or your path. And and Mm. speaking with you, I'm clear that you are now in that, you know, you got your wings, man, you've earned your wings (laughs) and you now you're flying in the face of convention and you're doing so beautifully. And, And it takes so many of us doing that to inspire everybody else. You know, if major can do it, if Light can do it. If whoever can do it, then I know that I can do it. So I just want to thank you for whatever courage you had to dig into, man, to find those wings and get through the, t- the tunnel moment and to be as free as you are now. And I know you know nobody's life is perfect, even though you may have your wings, but still it says a lot that you've you've continued moving forward. So I just want to thank you very much for that. And thank you again for being a part of this podcast in this conversation
1: wow wow thank you thank you i I received that thank you so much i want to thank you for having me having me on here first as an opportunity and then second for the intention like you know you say at the end of the tunnel i'm sure many people have listened to this as a direct result of your intention and been led out of a dark place or felt some hope and inspiration so thank you for sharing that and keep pushing that out, man. I'm here to support it in any way. Beautiful, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Bless, brother. Thank you
0: for listening to my interview with major. You can enjoy his 432 Hertz music on all streaming platforms. I recommend starting with volume one frequency and then going from there. And to get more information about his music, make sure you follow major on social media at major, which is spelled M a E J O R as well as his website, Major.com. You may also notice other artists are now listing the frequency of their music next to their songs. And that was a trend that Major actually started. All of his music will say either 432 hertz or 444 hertz, which are the highest and most healing frequencies for the music that we listen to. And to get to show notes and a transcript of my conversation with Major, you can go to lightwatkins.com tunnel while you're there you'll also see that I have a new book called Knowing Where to Look, 108 Daily Doses of Inspiration, which just came out. It's a book of my own personal stories and classic stories that are meant to provide you with doses of inspiration. If you love this podcast and if you follow me on social media or subscribe to my daily dose of inspiration emails, you will absolutely love Knowing Where to Look. It's gotten rave reviews. It debuted in the top 10 of all spiritual books. And you can find it everywhere books are sold. If you already have a copy of Knowing Where to Look, please make sure you leave a rating or review on Amazon so we can help to spread the word about this treasure trove of inspiration that is available to all. Also, please don't forget to leave a review for this podcast. You can do so on the Apple Podcast app. Just click on the name of the show, which is at the end of the tunnel, and then scroll down and you'll see the five stars just tap the fifth star and you have left a rating. And if you want to go the extra mile, write a couple of lines about what you really like about this podcast and you've left a review. In the meantime, I'll see you back here next week with another story from the end of the tunnel. Until then, keep trusting your intuition, keep following your heart, and keep taking those leaps of faith. I'll see you next time. Have a great day. you want to get a little extra nudge when it comes to following your heart and taking leaps of faith and believing in yourself each day, then you want to sign up for my free daily dose of inspiration email. You'll join 30,000 other subscribers who receive a short inspirational story or anecdote that's meant to inspire you to become the best version of yourself each day. You can sign up at lightwatkins.com and you'll get your first inspirational message as early as tomorrow. Again. Just go to lightwatkins.com. You can sign up for free and you'll wake up each morning inspired to be the best version of yourself.